0: When I was teaching kids in China, I got into a conversation with a parent. He was concerned about his daughter. She'd developed a stutter, he told me. What was my advice? Well, I told him, I'm just a teacher, so my advice about stutters is not very valuable. If I were you, I'd go see a doctor. Oh no, he said. If we go to hospital, she'll get worse. That didn't make a lot of sense to me. We talked about hospitals a bit and got onto the NHS, the UK's National Health Service. How it was invented after the war, how it's paid through taxes and is mostly free to access and universal. But he didn't look impressed. That's just like North Korea, he told me. I'm Adam, and this is Culture Bites. A little bite into the apple of culture. Just what the doctor ordered is a phrase that has nothing to do with doctors. It just means to get the thing that's needed. That might be a perfectly tasty scone and a cup of tea after a long walk, or a hotel in the mountains with a spa and a hot spring. There's some sense that it's doing you some good. The phrase goes back to the mid-19th century, at least. Wordhistories.net has two examples from an American newspaper. In one... A bowl of soup or a cold lunch was just what the doctor ordered. In the other, something about a court case, the attorney argued that the law is perfectly constitutional, right, and in fact, just what the doctor ordered. But sometimes, what the doctor ordered was just what the doctor ordered. And that was the situation with my dad, who got cancer in spring this year.
1: Dr Brown suspected something and she phoned.
0: So she phoned the cancer
1: ward? Yes.
0: And they did the relevant tests? Yes.
1: yes. And we, we met a cancer nurse. And once she got to the right people, they recognised everything hmm. almost immediately. Yeah. I think they recognised it, but they didn't tell me immediately. Hmm. They just said, you need to be admitted. Okay. And then we went from there.
0: Since my dad got cancer earlier this year, I've been back in England. I went to stay with him, and over a beer in the garden, we were talking about his experience.
1: I brought Irina home, and I felt terrible. And then I got a cab and went straight to the hospital. And by the time I got to the hospital, um, she told me where where to report to which ward, and they were expecting me. Mm. And then they gave me a room, which was a private room with en suite, toilet, shower, Sky TV, it was amazing. It was an upgrade in many ways. Well, yes, yeah, Sky TV. You you lie on the bed and you're confronted by this 50 inch screen. It's just amazing. And what happened was that the nurses come in all the time. They're constantly coming in. And giving you tests and um, you know blood pressure tests, blood tests, uh, urine tests all the time mm. <clears throat> in the in the twenty four or thirty six hours before I had the chemo. Mm. Const- it was constant, and then they come round with a menu for the food. Mm. <clears throat> and initially, I wasn't interested, but after I had the chemo, and of course then. They give you all these warnings about the chemo. Uh, this may happen, that may happen. And of course, you know, I, for me personally, nothing happened yeah. other than feeling, very shortly, a lot better. Just felt a lot, a heck of a lot better. And all the swelling went, in my neck went down yeah. almost immediately. And I thought, oh shit, this is better. And then I was hungry, just hungry. And all I wanted to do was eat. A nurse said to me, we see this every day, right. GPs miss it, yeah. but we see it every day. Yeah. So if we see a swelling in the neck, yeah. for, for example, which is what I had, um, we immediately think lymph nodes, cancer. Mm. But a GP won't, <clears throat> mm. because a GP might think virus, for instance, or um, I don't know. You know yeah, exactly. so some, some infection where the, lymph, where the lymph nodes have reacted. Well, I rarely go to a GP who doesn't say, oh, you're all right. I did have a problem one, one day with a receptionist who wanted to make sure I was really ill.
0: Really.
1: Yeah. And Jog I, on the spot. And I, <laughs> I, I said, well, what do you need to know? They do have to be diligent. Oh, sure, sure. There. Well, you know, I said, I've just come out of accident and emergency. And uh, my body's falling apart. And you know, they think it might be something serious. And uh, after a while, she sort of studied me for a minute and then decided I did look ill. And and this is a receptionist with obviously no medical training whatsoever. No, you know, but they do have to. Mm. Because
0: otherwise. Everyone wants an appointment today, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wants an appointment. And everybody's everybody gets an emergency appointment but the first
1: emergency appointment is in two weeks yes exactly, <laughs> exactly. everyone thinks they're urgent so. yeah. you know, I can remember I was in there having come out of a and and a woman had gone out in her garden fallen over yeah. and fractured her shoulder yeah. and she'd obviously hurt herself badly and she was obviously well known to them to oh, yeah. the people in A&E, really? to the nurses, yeah. And she's saying, I want morphine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want morphine, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, surely that's for a doctor to decide. Right. right. Uh, and when you're <clears throat> with patients, faced with people like that, mm. so demanding yeah. and, and quite abusive to people who are trying to help. Yeah, I know. <laughs> quite abusive, you know. Yeah, it's a funny... And when I was in A&E, and people were sort of screaming, help me, help me. Yeah. And that was, it was really unnerving. Not a nice place to be. No, A&E appalling. Uh, you know, I, I was there for the from you know, afternoon to the following morning throughout mm. the night. It was just horrendous. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I don't know how the doctors and nurses cope. Yeah, but yeah. you have people screaming, and crying, going, going to get all the going to get drunk people. Oh, totally, stuff. yeah, getting get leery and yeah. and you know it's just just appalling, horrendous experience. When the when Doctor Brown said you have got to go back to the hospital, I, th- I, I thought, you know, I immediately... chances. I, I, <laughs> I thought I don't want to go back to A and E, but she wasn't talking about A and E. Once you've been diagnosed and once you're in the system, they, I mean, I can only speak from my personal experience, they are just so efficient and spot on. And that they don't get quite emotional about it, really, but they don't waste any time. You know, people talk about a wait for this or a wait for that. My experience has been nothing like that. You know, hours this is gonna happen, Steve, and then we're gonna send you off to XYZ mm. department. <clears throat> you need a CT scan, you go down now. Mm. You need a heart scan, the heart man's on his way.
0: Yeah, I suppose at that stage, you're... <clears throat> you know, I mean, you feel pretty rough, but I mean, you're on a, you're on a conveyor belt. Oh, totally, you?
1: And, 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 and not only oh, so you're on a conveyor belt, but you're a priority. Yeah. And they just, they literally did not hang around. I can understand why, you know, if you're a multi-millionaire or whatever, people turn around and donate. I mean, you go to what's known as the Ricky Grant ward, and there are photographs of cheques all over the place, on the walls, where people have donated. And people forget about this. I mean, if the NHS is underfunded an awful lot of money comes in, goes in privately, mm. you know, from donations, from wealthy people or grateful people, Yeah, you know, awful lot of money. I mean, you you can see cheques for thousands of pounds yeah. that have gone in. It's a, um, it's, a subsidy. it's a thank you, isn't it? It's a thank you. It's also a subsidy to the NHS, but I think, you know, there will never be a, there will never be a situation in which the NHS is ever fully funded. Because mm. there will. <coughs> the NHS does far more now than it was ever designed to do in 1945-46, you know. So um, it, it, at that time it was designed just to provide basic health care, deal with such things as TB mm. and the diseases of measles and diphtheria and stuff like that. Quite basic health care, just to ensure that everyone got a chance. The NHS was created in 1948,
0: just after World War II. Britain was bankrupt and hungry, and yet, in this difficult moment, the government managed to create a health system which guaranteed medical help to everyone. It was, to coin a phrase, just what the doctor ordered. Just what was needed. The UK was the first country in the world to do this. Some countries, like the USA, still haven't caught up. The NHS is sometimes said to be Britain's national religion. People take to the streets when they think it's in danger of being underfunded or sold off. For the most part, people really appreciate it. In its, it's sometimes personified as a kind of great national carer, There for you right at the beginning and right at the end of your life. Cradle to grave, they say. Rich or poor, young or old, everyone has the right to use it. And you can leave your money at home. When the NHS was founded, everyone got a leaflet telling them what to expect. It went like this. It will provide you with all medical, dental and nursing care. Everyone, rich or poor, man, woman or child, can use it or any part of it. There are no charges, except for a few special items. There are no insurance qualifications. But it is not a charity. You are all paying for it, mainly as taxpayers. And it will relieve your money worries in time of illness. And as for my dad, he's doing all right. recovering quite well, actually.
1: I've put some more wine in your glass, dear just to let you know I haven't forgotten you know of course of course ah on Saturday I'm going to take you to the Rugglestone Inn on Dartmoor for lunch ok you know the Rugglestone i